Smartcast. You are listening to a Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. Hello and a very warm welcome to FDBD. I am Shreya Agrawal and you are watching yet another episode of Mint Inside. With me is a very meaningful panel today. Please help me welcome Vishal Tulsiyan, Managing Director and Founder of Motilal Oswal Private Equity. I also have with me Nitin Poddar and Upendra Sharma Partners at Chase Agar Associates. Gentlemen, it's my sheer pleasure and privilege to welcome you all to the second episode of our special series, Future of Deal Making. Just to sort of before we get into the conversation i think it's worthwhile to do some bit of context setting 2020 really was a roller coaster ride for the indian economy in the financial markets and the pandemic continues to have a significant impact on mid market private equity activity however india's economic rebound in the second half of 2020 has continued to drive very strong sentiment in public markets to the extent that we expect private equity investment levels to bounce back to pre pandemic levels in 2021 just to give you some bit of context setting here in the second half of 2021 there was a decline in private equity transaction volume by 35% and value by 23% versus the same period in 2019 the two most active sectors in 2020 were financial services and consumer leisure and retail contributing to about 44% of the closed deals during that period the healthcare sector in particular dominated private equity buyouts as relative as relative resilience of the industry was more attractive compared to the uncertainty amongst the other verticals talking about another interesting sector was industrials which really benefited from the covid-19 recovery and resumption of manufacturing activity seeing a resurgence in q4 2020 and ending with 13 deals compared to 12 in 2019 a 25% increase in deal value education specifically edtech was a proud favorite securing seven transactions in the h2 2020 compared to five in o19 which was driven by the necessity of online learning throughout the lockdown so so our viewers have kind of got a snapshot of what really went through in the h1 and h2 of the last year and how we are sort of geared to establish the resilience of private equity as we gear forward for 2021 too I would like to begin with you, Vishal. Just given the kind of credible franchise you have built by virtue of Motilal Oswal Private Equity, this entire question of mid-market private equity, one sort of gathers from experts and what few here from industry is that it really has been a sort of mixed bag in the past few years. I want to understand from you, given that you know you have really sort of held on to yourself and has always and always dabbled in mid-market private equity space. What really do you think are the key trends? driving the future and resilience of this subspace in the larger private equity universe as we peak further in 2021 thank you very much uh, shija for uh, putting this whole thing together i must compliment your team as well as the j saga team for uh, um, for such a thought provoking series uh, i think it's going to be very helpful for uh, all our viewers who who get an opportunity to watch this vikal uh, So, Shreya, talking about uh, the whole mid-market private equity space, India has largely been a mid-market play. Uh, Shreya, more than eighty percent of the deals in terms of number of transactions have been mid-market companies because that's the core of core of the Indian economy, right? Because we've been a trillion-dollar economy fifteen years ago, and as we grow as size, is when you will see emergence of large companies. So, mid-size 
uh, mid market companies have been core to india and will continue to remain core indian entrepreneurs are and in india is an entrepreneurial vibrant country there's so many entrepreneurs across the country from tier 2 tier 3 cities and i'm going to share examples with you of how some of these companies potentially over the next 10 years could be the torch bearers of many of the sectors in the economy today uh when you talk about mixed mid market to be a mixed bag in the last 3 to 5 years you have to look at it in context of what the economy has gone through so typically when you are investing in a mid market company you expect to make 23 to 25% compounded return over a long period of time and bulk of that return or 70 to 80% of that return will actually come from the growth in the underlying companies where you know they would grow at 17 18% and 5 to 7% uh, returns will come from re-rating in the multiples because you are investing them uh, when they are unlisted so you do get some benefit around valuation that's a, that's a basic principle of mid market growth capital investing last 5 years has been a roller coaster ride for india right you had a demonetization in november of 2016 which did impact a lot of consumer sectors which did change a lot of spending at least for year year and a half then you had gst which was very much required for the economy but it did create some disruption in the short term and execution in a country of size and scale of india will always be a challenge there will be some botch up that will happen here and there and that is what we experienced in gst as well but it was well known then you had the ilnfs crisis in 2018 which again created some kind of a liquidity crunch you also have to understand many of these mid market india is a capital starved country right so you need capital both in terms of equity and also in terms of debt so the ilnfs crisis did lead to some kind of uh, softening of the financial market and mother of all you had covid in 2020 and as we thought we are going to recover from covid you had you are facing covid too so honestly last 5 years you have to look at it in context of what the indian economy has gone through so that definitely has impacted the returns in the last 5 years and uh, but uh, shija interestingly i don't know how much you guys have tracked but if you really see the kind of ipos that have come in the last 3 to 5 years many of those ipos are of the companies that have been backed by private equity funds 5 7 10 years ago they were all mid sized companies which have grown to be an ipoable companies now and one great thing about the ipos that you've seen are in terms of quality of companies that are coming up with public issue would is a testament to what private equity has done to this country majority of these companies are backed by private equity funds they have high level of corporate governance they have high level of transparency and more importantly the pride that i take as a mid market private equity fund manager in the country today you know through my funds over the last 15 years i have been able to generate more than 100000 employment for more than 100000 people through all our companies we have created you know the taxation you know uh, gst indirect direct taxation they've all gone gone up so i think mid market companies as an investment opportunity was there is there and will continue to be there going forward as well uh in our first fund uh, shija where we invested between 2007 and 11 were smaller companies they were companies with valuation of between 200 to 500 crores today four out of those 13 investments that we made 
are between $2 billion to $5 billion in valuation. And this is just the start of their journey, I would say. In the next 10 years, you'll probably see the same companies between $10 billion to maybe a $20 billion enterprise company. So that's the kind of growth uh, that mid-market companies will see over a period of time. And this is despite all the obstacles that I'm talking about. Once we see some kind of linearity, which we have not really seen in last 10 to 12 years, I think uh, uh, you'll see a lot more robust environment and money-making machine through these mid-market companies. Thank you, Vishal. That was very, very insightful. You took us through the entire evolution of the mid-market scenario and the kind of obstacles that the economy has to ride through, but how the private equity mid-market space really held all to its own and established resilience. I want to sort of come to you now, Nitin, sort of taking a segue from Vishal just sort of pointed out in terms of the ability of this space, the mid-market fee space to sort of really produce high-quality IPO-able companies to provide employment in the country at such a large scale. And really what he has seen in his franchise that, you know, the growth of companies from how they have traversed this journey of being sub-billion dollar to being a large billion dollar companies right now. Nathan, in your interaction with other promoters and you know private equity firms at large, what are the trends that you are picking up from the promoter's perspective in the preference to go for a private equity investment versus a public flow, just given the kind of liquidity and markets being awash with capital. And I must also tell my viewers that Nitin has just recently penned a book called GPS Paradigm on the private markets and the MS space. Nitin, over to you. Uh, thanks, Rija. Uh, thanks for organizing this. And uh, Vishal has very nicely given the complete evolution of the private equity. That's really a nice uh, uh, landscape. Now, uh, if you ask me a preference between private equity and a public float, I would say preference is to raise money, whichever way it comes, <laughs> honestly. Uh, but uh, certainly, you know, for the complete, we'll have to divide the companies into two, two sort of buckets. One is, one is the companies who have already had the first round of IPO, who have had structured governance, who have structured processes, and whose model is tried and tested even during the pandemic stage. Those are all companies are lined up for IPOs. Uh, whereas other companies uh, who, has, who have not really had the opportunity of having private equity, first round of private equity, or uh, whose model has been taken a setback during the COVID, uh, you know, during last 13, 14 months, they, those promoters are, are, to my mind, uh, taking corrective steps, pivoting their model, pivoting their business model, pivoting their processes, building governance, they are also hungry of money. So uh, I think for them, uh, going to IPO will be still a, still a long time, but they would prefer or they are preferring private equity investment because private equity typically brings uh, not only investments, but they bring uh, a broader perspective to the organization. They build processes, they help build governance. So between the IPO and the public uh, private equity, I think it depends on the company, what stage that company is. But, uh, uh, and also uh, most importantly, one, one more divide strategy we need to understand uh, in, that is between the old economy promoters and the new economy, new economy promoters, all the startup uh, ventures. Uh, the old economy promoters typically are still uh, uh, hesitant or worried about taking private equity because of typical robustness, or I would say slightly assertive nature of the of the private equity you know they, they demand a lot of uh, stuff a lot of corrections in the company so uh, those are some of the uh, hesitations or caveats which the old economy promoters feel uh, 
but by and large if you ask me today um, private equity have done fantastic phenomenal job in the last uh, 8 to 10 years in the 5 years particularly space they have really brought lot of a uh, substance to the table not just investments but also international perspective international management management st st styles management inputs uh, they have got lot a lot of uh, accountability they have brought in the companies so private equity certainly is 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 the most uh, favored uh, uh, route of in, uh, raising funds currently and as we shall as said you know india is an entrepreneurial state and we really have uh, if if i if i'm correct in my numbers almost 6 6 and 1/2 crores of uh, sme msme companies and they are majority of them are hungry for funds so if if they all put their uh, put their house in order correctly uh, if they if required they, they need to pivot their pivot their um, business model given the pandemic uh and i i think you know they will be first to really raise money from private equity uh, uh, funds okay thanks for that nitin uh nitin i sort of heard you and you were saying that there's a huge sort of you know mass of sme entrepreneurs out there will be hungry for growth capital and can do the next orbit of growth vishal i want to come to you now and you know you sort of highlighted a very interesting point that you have seen the trajectory that companies have really grown from being some million dollar perhaps requiring smaller amounts of capital to larger amounts of capital just given the kind of heightened activity we are seeing in the capital market space i have two questions for you you know how is the deal pipeline looking for you uh, is the are there defined category of entrepreneurs who go for a private growth capital versus a public float can you distinguish between these two people these two set of you know entrepreneurs and second sort of what sectors are you thinking that which have more traction right now in terms of is it manufacturing consumer discretionary or uh, you know technology where are you seeing action so um uh clearly uh, shija from uh, the whole traction point of view you know today for a promoter uh see even the public market has evolved over the last 20 years i remember 20 years ago a company with a market cap of 3 400 crores could have gone ipo today uh, a company needs to have a minimum capitalization of between 2000 to 3000 crore if it has to go uh, public so if a company is reaching that size uh, clearly the the uh, opportunity to go ipo exists but if you are sub 1500 crores or sub 2000 crores in market cap uh, there i think reliance is largely going to be on private equity secondly a lot of promoters could have a view point that at the end of the day they both are providers of capital they are not able to differentiate between intelligent capital and not so intelligent capital and where promoters are of the view that i don't need intelligent capital i just need capital i need to go public i know how to run my business extremely well uh, will ideally go for a uh, uh, public uh, uh, issue and there are companies which decide that no i i still have to see many of the listed companies even in india today they are not yet an institution they are just listed because they are listed but in terms of decision making in terms of board room discussion i think it's at a very very even even in 20th century of india right now in many of these companies we're still very trivial as far as those things are concerned uh so uh, at the and and let me tell you biggest value add that a private equity fund would do in my mind is twofold one of the most important decision that every promoter or every owner has to do is capital allocation if you see companies make or break 
because of their capital allocation decisions. And that is why having an intelligent capital, I think, would play a critical role. And that is why even after you go public, you should have those large investors, you should have a vibrant board, which will help you in that capital allocation decision. Second most important thing that a PE fund, at least that, that is what we do with all our companies, is put the organization structure in place. See, things like uh, having big four as an auditor and all those things are not table stakes. But I'm saying more in terms of how you evolve the board. How do you make uh, a create an XCOM? How do you make a decision making which is more consist consensus driven rather than driven by whims and fancies of one individual? I think that is something which has to change. And that's, that is what a, a promoter will have to take a view on which way uh, one should go. You also have to appreciate, uh, Shirja, that many of the companies which are sizable today were born either in 80s or 90s. Those guys didn't know what private equity is all about. They are the kind of entrepreneurs who build businesses on their own. They have made mistakes. They have tripped. They have taken right decisions. And Mar Pete they have reached a situation where doing they're, they're doing reasonably well. So they might not be able to appreciate it as, as a new set of entrepreneurs who were born in, let's say, as a company, as the com set of companies were born in 2000. So that difference definitely exists. Uh, Coming back to the second part of your question, uh, Shirja, in terms of where we are seeing opportunities right now, clearly, you, you know, for us, uh, consumer pharma has been a big play, uh, financial services, and so is the manufacturing. I'm sure we'll talk about manufacturing a bit later, how we see manufacturing uh, potential for India. But consumer discretionary, I think, will be a big play. But you are seeing more play happening around D2C rather than your traditional brick and mortar. And there, even funds like us will have to change and emerge and learn to evaluate and figure out how to uh, underwrite those transactions. You are going to see a great amount of opportunity on the pharma healthcare side. Um, financial services has been, will continue to remain big opportunity set. But I guess right now, if, you are, if, if you're asking me, at the current point in time, you're going to see some slowdown for three to six months in terms of financial services deal making, but I think eventually that will that will change. You know, we ourselves have actually done two investments in the last two months on the financial services side. We invested in a in a uh, in a, a fintech company called Credit B, and we invested in a company called FinCare Small Finance Bank, which has just filed uh, its DRHP. So, I think uh, in the short term, you you. you you could change your decision making, but I think long term, uh, these are the sectors which have been and which will continue to be important for uh, India. Thanks, Vishal. So essentially, direct to consumer brands, pharma, healthcare space, and more importantly, financial services could also see traction going forward. Uh, Vishal, you spoke about pre-IPO pre -IPO sort of opportunities, and you know how the distinction between the entrepreneur who raises intelligent capital versus those who are fine by just raising more intelligent. Now, we spoke a bit about capital allocation, you know, what really is at stake there. I think it's time to talk a little about the legal due diligence. I mean, we are definitely in a very new world right now. 
private equity investors also have to grapple with the new realities of the environment that we're dealing with. I mean, ultimately, you have to establish trust in a synthetic environment. I mean, you're bound to do deals over Zoom calls, and the velocity of deal making, I must say, has not subsided, so to speak. In that scenario, I want to understand from you, Pendra, that you know how has legal due diligence changed? I mean, are you seeing any kind of new deal structures or new asks in terms of reps or warranties? You know, coming as definite asks from the capital allocator's perspective, or from the company's perspective, what the concerns playing out? In their mind to raise risk capital during this time. Thank you, Shurja. Thanks very much. Uh, well, from the due diligence perspective, there has been a lot of development. In this world of pandemic, when the world is changing, you can't expect uh, due diligence to be left around. And you see, now you're sitting in your drawing rooms or your dining table and doing the diligence, which you would earlier be sitting at the target's office and doing physical meetings uh, you know with the employees of the target asking question answers now everything is virtual so you have the complete data room which is virtual and the you know at times access to the documents is limited in terms of the whether it's printouts etc and moreover may not be feasible at home but those are the realities of life and one has to live with so that's where it is virtual data rooms and the because of the pandemic the emphasis is on to realize the you know the rationale of the business and you know its sustainability during the covid times so as it is the due diligence had several aspects to be looked at but with pandemic coming in the focus is slightly more changed to look at its sustainability in the longer term for example uh, material contracts it's always to look at you know what are the performance obligations and what are the consequences of non will that uh, lead to termination of the contract and its impact on the business of the company for example if i am a manufacturing company and i have some deliverables or commitments in terms of minimum guarantee and i don't fulfill those then is that a force majeure event what are the consequences where do i lead so you know those kind of things have to be examined from because of the pandemic it is extra focused there similarly you know supply chain management who are my suppliers i have my commitments to go forward and maybe my supplier is sitting in a containment zone and the, uh, the you know raw material is not coming how do i supply and what are the consequences of those so and do i have alternates to look at that's very important to you know that's another area which has really popped up and uh, to give you another example is the employees are you know where are your employees are they sitting at home uh, working from home or are they sitting in uh, at your, they required to be there physically if they are sitting working remotely uh, do they have it access and access to the data what happens to the confidentiality data privacy obligations supposing you are doing some data analytics work for a medical company based out of us and you have lot of data privacy obligations what happens to those people tend to be working from their personal laptops so you know those challenges have to be looked at very seriously as to is there enough uh, uh, bandwidth in the company to tolerate all that and if your um, uh, workforce is required on ground do they have enough bandwidth to tackle like in a uh, hazardous uh, free manner so uh, and also uh, uh, linked to it is the various labor, uh, various local legislations which have come up because of the pandemic whether you can travel do you require a pass and what have you you know the entire nine years have to be looked at so those are very important aspects and then uh, does the uh, company have the you know access to the capital and are there any triggers being pulled by any of the lenders 
and uh, you know its sustainability from an insolvency perspective and uh, another aspect is the founders themselves or the operators the kmts supposing it's a, a smallish company promoter driven company and where uh, you know there are just two promoters and both of them are seriously down with in a serious condition with covid so what is the future of the company so those kind of things uh, are something we are seeing are developing and some things would be kind of here to stay for example the uh, financial impact may be just short lived but there will be certain elements which will be long lived and we'll have to see what are the new, new normal and how do we live with it so these are the kind of things that we are looking at or you know in terms of the diligence and uh, so that's where it is uh, targeting and uh, in terms of uh, new asks people are asking for uh, severe you know reps and warranty insurance that's being majorly hopped upon that's become the new norm of the day dno insurance which has been really looked at people are asking for it and uh, uh, you know so that's a big big challenge and many times in terms of the diligence also you do not have access to the uh, original documents for example some of the documents by law are required to be at the registered office of the company now uh, the, the statutory registers or at times people keep their original uh, title deeds how do you access to those if it's the containment zone you can't even go there that impacts the whole uh, diligence process the timelines on the other hand the ask these days that we see is that you know guys finished uh, from diligence to the closure should be 2 to 3 months the time is shrinking but uh, you have to live with the real realities of life and so you know it's a, it's a mixed bag in that sense when it's it's hard times but uh, that's how things are shaping up and uh, let's see how it go, goes forward thanks apinta definitely covid really has been a game changer for the deal making itself with the technicality that bring the deal together and thank you for giving the insight in terms of the asks and the reps and the warranties and how things are dramatically changed This was a Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast.